Okay, I want to pass straight over to Joe. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us what church you're from and anything else interesting about you. Um, I'm Joe Horn. I'm from King's Church Kendall and City Church Lancaster too. I know it's like being greedy, isn't it? <laughs> um, and so, I don't know, we just live really far away from here. That's really all you need to know about us in the north where it's rainy and cold. But here we come to serve you in the warm sunshine, so that's nice for a change. Hello, my name's Andy. I am from King's Church in London. I don't think we have any representation here. I don't think they even know I'm doing it. So, um, so yeah, and uh, we love London, but uh, we love coming to New Day. So it's good to be with you. Hello, I'm Damien, and uh, I'm originally from Salford, um, but we've recently moved to Blackpool to start um, Christchurch Blackpool. And even though it is uh, always raining in the north, Blackpool is in the north, but it's got its own subclimate where it's always sunny by the sea. So um, it's a fantastic destination. And I'm Katie, and this is my husband Scott, and uh, Scott leads the church in Lancaster, and we planted out of Kendall Church. Um, This is our second year at New Day doing this, which has been really cool. So without further ado, I'm going to read out some questions that we've received. So guys, uh, are you worried about the future of your children as they are born into this sinful society full of violence, depression, self-image issues, etc.? And what advice can you give to trusting God's goodness in this fallen world? That is a great question. Um, yeah, I, I, think that's a, I think that's a fantastic question. And I know there's somebody on this panel that's uh, far better qualified to answer that than I am. Um, so I, I, would re, I, I would regurgitate some of the stuff that, 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 that Joel would probably say. And actually, what, what Joel would say is actually um, being on God's mission and advancing the kingdom and involving your children in that. So it's not just you on the mission. Actually, if you can get your children caught up in that mission and, 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 and catch a vision for God's kingdom, then that is actually the very best thing you can do for your children. And I think you probably, you'll probably be able to say a lot more than that. Um, I, think, I think the first thing... I've got, I've got two kids, so I've got a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And, a half year old. and I, I do worry sometimes. I look at particularly where we are in London... Some of the schools are quite rough and the, the areas near us are quite rough. And so I do worry sometimes. But at the same time, sometimes we can look at our society now and think it's far, 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 far worse than anything gone before. And yes, there are things, so, social media and internet, which mean that our kids have access to things which they never used to. But I think in any generation, if you look, read through church history, you'll find that there have been societies where it's just been really tough. So I think in any age, it's, it's, it's been tough. So for me, I think it's just a matter of trust, trusting God. And like, like it's been said, I want to catch my kids up on a mission and I want them to be involved and not be hidden away or you know, wrapped in cotton wool, but be exposed to everything in life um, and just trust that God will, will protect them. So I think that's what I would say. The truth is, as a parent, Speak up, the, the truth is, as a parent, that bad stuff is in fact going to happen to your kids, and there's actually nothing that you can do about it very often. Um, four of our five children are chronically ill, um, and it is wonderful for them to be at New Day, and it's wonderful for them to come here and be part of everything, including our healing meetings when they get to stand there every year and watch their friends run to the front saying, yes, I've been healed of my ingrained toenail. Which, please don't misunderstand me, God does heal big things and small things, and that is of real value. And I'm not undermining small healings, but actually that is a real challenge to wrestle with when you're not healed, for example. Actually, where's God in that? But we're raising our children to know what we know, and that is that God is for them. God is for them, and God uses all things for their good. So when life is hard, when actually you're sick and you're not healed, or bad stuff happens to you, when people sin against you, or when whatever the the struggles and challenges might be in life, actually all those things, we know that God uses them for good, to, to bring glory to himself. The messy stuff, God is still with us in it. And if you really know that, 
I don't just mean know that in your head. Oh, yes, I know that the Bible says that. But if you really know that, then actually that puts everything else into perspective and you can carry on and press on and be on a mission and actually be in faith for your children, not fear. We, we only said that we were going to have two responses to each question, but we've all got children and I think we're probably all quite passionate about this one. Um, I totally agree with everything that's gone by. So the only thing I would add is difficulty is certain for everyone, isn't it? We know... We're, we're to expect difficulty. Scripture says um, you will have troubles in this life. Um, so that is, that's a given. But I guess a better question is to ask, what's your view of the future? What, what do you think is going to happen? And is your view of that future a biblically opti- optimistic view or is it a biblically negative view? And actually, I think the end-time theology that we find in the Bible is actually not of a crushed destroyed church that is completely annihilated and doesn't do any good in the world and there are theologies out there that will tell you that that the church is going to recede but actually i believe what the bible teaches is that the church is going to advance the gospel is going to go into all nations and that lives are going to be transformed by it so if you have a view that actually god Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is in the place of all authority right now. He's in control. He's in charge. He's building his church, and the gates of Hades won't prevail. If that's your view on it, yes, there's going to be difficulty, and that may increase as the gospel increases, but that's a chance for your kids to be involved in something greater than what we've been involved in, in fact. So my hope for our children is that they see greater things than we have because there's a biblical principle that the latter is greater than the former. The the, the things that happen latter will be better. So it might be that we see... 500 people saved in our church in Lancaster. Well, I'd, I'd love that my son Max and my daughter Mary see thousands saved. Uh, and, and that may be difficulty. It may be hard. It may be challenge. But I, I pray for a greater breakthrough for them than we've seen because that's the God I see in the Bible. He's not. Jesus didn't die for a small thing, did he? He didn't die so that a few people became... He died that nations were changed. So that's what we pray and that's what we hope for. And actually, I believe should be the inheritance of our children as well. I just want to bring out us, uh, the, the last nuance of that question, which was what advice can you give to trust in God's goodness in this fallen world? And I think it might be helpful for some of us to think about, yeah, how practically can we learn to trust and believe that God is good when what we see around us is so, is so difficult? So in our lives so far, how have you learned to trust that God is good? How has that happened and how can you do that? Because we all see the difficulty and the pain and the hurt. How can we learn to trust that God is good? What does that look like? Um, When God speaks to his people in the Old Testament, um, often when they've gone awry and forgotten who God is, often through a prophet what will happen is this phrase will come out again and again, which is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt with mighty miracles. And it's not God's faithfulness or goodness that changes. It's our um, grasping of the reality and the nearness of that that changes. Um, And actually, as you go through life, and many of us in this room will have landmark events in our lives, that actually, if you take the time and you go, do you know what, God, you did that, in my life. So I look back on how I ended up in Lancaster and it was so outrageously God that in my dark times, in the difficult times, I can go, wow, thank you God for rescuing me and, and giving me a purpose and a, a picture. That was so ridiculously you and I so understand the depth of your love and grace towards me from that life event that I can go back to it and I can say, that is true. Not only do I see it in scripture, but it's true for my life as well. And I've got landmark events in my life to, to do that. So for me, it's almost as if that becomes like the, the foundation that you live on. That's the rock that you build your life on. You know his faithfulness because he is good and you've experienced it. Andy, you did your talk on depression and the downtimes. Have you got something to add here? I mean, I don't know who was at that seminar, but I finished it with a poem, and the last um, verse of it was, the dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. And I think it's just having 
realizing that God does see the whole picture and God is good. I think there's a quote um, in the Chronicles of Narnia where it talks about Aslan. Is, is he, what's the word? Is he a tame lion? He's, he's not tame, but he's, he's good. Yeah, something like that. So it's just, just n- n- acknowledging that we see the underside of the tapestry. God sees the, the top of the tapestry. And, and I, I found the thing that helped me most was realizing that God is in control. He is, he is good and he has good plans. And that's the thing that brought me through the tough times the most out of everything that helped me at that time. So I think it's just, just realizing that and recognizing that. just breaking the two answers only rule all over the place um i just wanted to add sometimes you see on facebook all my friends on facebook are very often putting on oh i'm so blessed this good thing's happened to me or i'm so blessed i've got this new car that i wanted god's provided or i'm so blessed and all this positive stuff that's happening in their life and actually when we read the beatitudes that is the opposite of what it says what the bible says is that when we're poor when we're weak when we're broken that's when we're blessed, which sounds backwards, doesn't it? But actually, it's really the answer to this question that the reason that we're blessed in our brokenness in the hard times is because that's when we get to really see God's grace and lean on him and depend on him. And that's when we really get to know who he is. Because actually, when things are cheery and easy, we can just bumble along in our own strength and we don't really need to lean on God. We really get to know him, actually, through the struggles and the hardship. That's where we find out that he really is good. Cheers, guys. Okay, next question. I am so scared about fitting in at college, and I'm trying to learn not to worry about what people think of me. Have you any advice for people starting college in that regard, or fitting in? And view of yourself. You can see we're all really confident in ourselves and, uh, and we've got no clue. No, we do. Um, it's the, the reason we're all hesitating and like, oh, how do we answer this is because it, it's actually a really hard one to answer because the truth is college is hard and school is hard and uni is hard. If, you, if your goal is to be popular and to fit in... For some of you, that's going to be really natural. And for some of you, that's, that is just going to be really tough. And so I guess my feeling is that, that perhaps that's not the right goal to be popular and to fit in, that there's perhaps something more important that we can be aiming for. And I think when, when we can get our security and our sense of identity in Jesus that's quite hopeful. It is really hard, isn't it? When you, I was speaking about this morning about really caring about what people thought about me. And actually, I've just, a part of growing up is just choosing not to care. And I say, use the word choosing, not flippantly. I, I actually use it very purposefully. One of the things I talk about a lot with adults is hospitality and the fact that actually it can be really difficult to welcome people into your home if you're not a naturally tidy, clean person. If you think people are going to think your house is messy and like you're just like a bit rubbish, your cooking's not good. And actually how I've overcome that hurdle is just by choosing that I care about something else more. So it's not that I don't care what people think about me. I actually do care. It does sting when people say, wow have you tied it up? Like as if it's really always really scuzzy, because it is. Um, but, but actually, what I'm choosing is that I care about something more. And I think the answer is, in your relationships, that you need to care about something more than what other people think about you. You can't just fight that. You have to replace it with something else. And if we're focusing on loving those around us, on accepting other people around us, um, and... Uh, being Christ in the place that we're at, that actually helps to take some of the pressure off looking at ourselves because actually we're, we're, we're reaching for something bigger, I think. Yeah, I was going to jump in there and say, this is kind of what Scott and I try and teach our children already. So they're five and three. 
And if they, sometimes they come home from their playgroup or school and you, you can sense they've had a bad day or someone's picked on them. And we try and drip feed in even now. Look out for the kids that look worse than you feel. If you're feeling lonely or you're feeling picked on or you're feeling left out, there's definitely going to be other children that feel like that. So I guess what we're trying to say is take the emphasis off yourself. And as adults, we sometimes need to take the emphasis off how we're feeling insecure. And I feel like this sometimes. You turn up to church or work or wherever and you feel insecure. You're having a bit of a down day. And what helps me snap out of that is to stop thinking about myself and I'm going to go and ask four questions to that lady over there and ask about her life and see how she's doing. And all of a sudden, I feel loads better and I feel built up because I've helped build someone else up. So just quite a practical level, build your self-confidence by by cultivating decent kind of characteristics about loving others. And that often means thinking of being prepared, having two or three questions in your mind to turn up to ask somebody at a party or a social event or college just be interested in other people and slightly less interested in yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah, the reason why I was reluctant to um, answer that question was because I, I spent my late teens and early 20s in prison, so I, I never went to college. Um, but trying to think of, of what, what I can bring to that. If there's ever a place where you need to fit in, it's prison. And if there's ever a place where it's inconvenient to be a Christian and to have met with Jesus and to have had a life transformed, that's in prison. Um, so... I mean, I, I, I found God about four months into a six-year sentence for robbery. And that, that, that encounter transformed my life. And I knew then that, that... I knew then that was on my own, but I wasn't on my own. And in prison, there, there was like... Um, it's very regional, so the Manx fight with the Geordies, the Manx fight with the Scouts. So everybody hates each other, you know. And you, it's, it's really important to find a crew that you fit in with Otherwise, you, 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 you're completely on your own. You're completely on your own. And it's all about image and front and respect and things like that. But actually, what you've got to understand is that it takes a lot more courage. It takes a heck of a lot more courage to be a Christian in your college, in your workplace, in your university, and, and definitely in prison. And there's, there's just some kind of spiritual dynamic and spiritual strength that you can plug into when you say, right, I am going to be different. I'm not going to choose you. I'm not going to choose you. I might get a bit of stick, but actually, um, I'm not going to follow anybody else. Did a bad example. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to set my own good example. And as a Christian, you're in a unique position to be going into your colleges and your universities and being leaders and actually drawing people to Jesus. And it's that thing about. Um, not going to Gath, but if you was in my seminar, not going to Gath and trying to keep a low profile and fly under the radar. That's not how you glorify God. That's not how you live a victorious Christian life. Um, actually, we're not called to fly under the radar. We're called to be strong and we're called to take ground for the kingdom. So that's, that's what I would add to that. Really good. Anything else, Scott? Yeah, just a very quick one then. Um, <clears throat> what I would say to that person, if I was talking one-to-one and Ed asked me, how how do I deal with this? Um, my first my first statement to them would be, "You are perfect, exactly as you are, and that is exactly how God's made you, and that is a truth that you really deeply need to understand." Because I grew up early part of my life wishing maybe I don't know I was maybe a bit taller or maybe I wishing I was slightly better at sports or slightly better at this and looking at other people who were better than me in those areas and measuring myself against them but the the truth is this no one is greater at being you than you there there is no one who is the same mix as you who's got the same sense of humor who's got the same way of being the same beautiful way of being and the same loves the same passion the same heart there is no one who is better at that than you and if you constantly wish you were someone else you're missing out on what god has made you for and actually your the the security that god would bring to you is i didn't make a mistake with you whatever it is you see as a weakness whatever it is you see as a failure whatever it is you see as a limitation god sees as beauty he sees that as exactly how he meant you to be and exactly how he formed you to be to fit perfectly into his will and his plan and that's really important you hear that and the second thing i would say is if popularity is one of those things some of the most courageous christians i've met are not popular people 
and I'm just going to tell you that um, that there are some really popular people who fit in really well and that's one of their gifts in life they just fit in well and if the thing that you're saying I really wished is I was like that person who fits in well I would show you a, a, a bunch of biblical examples of people who are not exactly people you would call good fitter inners they were misfits but God used them mightily and one of the reasons I think that is is because people like that learn to care about what God thinks of them not what man thinks of them and if you can do that if you can live a life that isn't about pleasing other people but is about pleasing your father in heaven if you can live a life like that God can use you incredibly great answers guys thank you has anyone got any questions from the floor has anyone got anything they want to come up and ask over the mic that I feel happy to you're very welcome to and if not uh, you can jot a question down and just bring it up to the front and we'll read it up yeah someone come up I'm not going to stand up (laughs) I've sat down now (laughs) Um, so today was it today or yesterday they talked about sorry I've lost my voice he talked about uh, purpose, and uh, he said, you know, about risk, and uh, that, a lot, like, some of us are blessed to know our purpose, but we're just doing nothing with it. And obviously, you guys are actively in ministry, um, as well as, obviously, raising families and things. So how do you, um, if you know what God has called you to do, how do you do life and do ministry well? Because it's pretty much full-time, both. Yeah, like with family, just in, in just in general, like doing ministry, like living your life that way. Yeah. Great question. Thank you. Did everyone hear that? Scott, over to you. Sorry, you've listened to me talk, but um, I feel really passionately about this, so I'm really glad you've asked the question. So Ephesians chapter 4 um, talks about the gifts that God gives to the church, and he says... There are the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and all these gifts are given to the church. And you go, wow, what an amazing thing it would be to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. But the next verse is what everyone misses because it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So this is really important. The work of ministry is not a church position. The work of ministry is the entire church on mission, evangelizing, pastoring people, looking after people. So if your view of, of um, so for me, for instance, I'm actually, I'm not really full-time work, am I? I've, I've got a secular job, which is four days a week, and I've got a day a week that I try and cram in a bit of family time and, and church work time, and then I've got church responsibilities as well. But if I viewed the church as something that I was solely responsible for doing, um, there's no way I could do it. Because the truth is, our church is about a community on mission together. And the great releasing thing for me is that doesn't mean I have to do it all. (laughs) That means we're all doing it together. And, And actually, that means your purpose in life is what God's put before you. And to do it as best you can. And to do it with love and with vigor as if serving him alone. And then God will put the things in front of you. I, I've spent far too much time in my life worrying about what will happen in the next three years. And the one thing I've learned is it takes care of itself. Uh, Honor God now. Serve him now. And he will make the future clear. He will, he will bring that make sense. And there might be dreams and visions you have in your heart. And you might be worried about how will that come to fruition. Well, if it is a God dream, it will. And, and you have to trust him now, serve him now, and it will come to pass. Just to add to that, I think the key is faithfulness. So at places like this, I know it happened for me, is that you get these dreams, visions, things that God puts on your heart that he wants you to do. Um, and, yeah, I think the only way that that will come into fruition is if you just are faithful in what God's given you, faithful with the small things you've got, um, you know I've got children I want to be as best good a dad as I can be I know that there are things God's called me to but it won't just happen in a moment like that it's uh, an ongoing process so I think living ordinary life and living supernaturally natural I know that Mike Pilavarchi is doing a conference on that next year um, is, is, is the key just spending time with God listening to him and just doing the normal things as best as you can but hiding in your heart the things that God has given to you and remembering them and reminding God of them as you go along and he will bring them into fruition in his time 
Yeah, I think I, I, I think um, that's spot on. That it's, it's just doing the normal things. So we're we're in the early stage of getting a church plant off the ground. Uh, we moved to Blackpool in January, so we've been there six months. And I thought it would be so much more difficult than it has been. I thought the the impact on the kids moving schools, me moving jobs. I, I thought it would be a lot harder than it's been. And I think it is going to be difficult. But what we found is um, just doing ministry as a family. So we, we, we kind of we, we just live in church and we bring people into our family. Our kids are so blessed by the people we're planting church alongside and the people that are coming into our family. It's absolutely fantastic. It enriches their lives in a, in a way that just just living it safe couldn't do, possibly do it at all. So we have we have uh, pizza nights and we have barbecues and it, it's just all about community and getting the kids excited about that. So Joseph will come home from school on a Friday night and go, "Is it pizza night, Daddy?" And I'll say, "No, it's term to you know it's, it's holiday time, so we're not doing pizza night." And he'd be like, "Oh, why not? Why aren't we doing pizza night?" So it's just getting the kids excited about that as well and doing ministry. Ministry isn't something that Mummy and Daddy are doing, and I hope you guys are okay with it. Ministry is something that we're all doing, and, and the kids love it. When you are new to a church. How would you advise getting involved in it and finding your place, especially in regards to finding a mentor there? Okay. Um, my one-word answer would be serve. So I think serving in a church is a really good way of getting involved and also not always expecting the people who are there to welcome you in but taking a step towards them. So I found when I was in South Africa for a, for a season... Um, there were, it was a bit cliquey. It was a great church, but it was a bit cliquey. And I found what helped me was, A, serving, and B, just being bold and just going up to people, inviting myself around for dinner and things like that. Um, and, it, and it worked. So pe- people kind of were like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And yeah, so, so I found those things helpful for me personally. But there might be other suggestions. I'd really agree with that. You know, we think so much about church as being meetings and positions. We do. We think about ministry being about having some kind of job title, and we think about church as being about going to meetings. That is just not what the Bible teaches. It's just not there. The Bible teaches that church is a family, a community. It's about relationship. Yes, we do go to some meetings. That just helps us to like organise our diaries. But that isn't what the church is. So actually, getting involved, if you're thinking uh, that that's all about a Sunday, then you've really had it, you've, you've missed the point and you're going to really struggle. Actually, getting involved in people's lives and involving people in your life, blessing and serving people, yes, that might be putting out the chairs, it might be doing the kids' work or the teas and coffees, it might be some stuff that is involved in meetings, but actually the relationship, that's actually the key, that's where the discipleship then works out. And if you want somebody to be speaking into your life, then really find someone that you think, yes, that person is ahead of me in God, just ask them. And then if they say no, don't go home and weep about it. They actually just might not have time. They're not being mean to you, they're just being honest with you. So just ask somebody else. Get involved in people's lives and have people involved in your life um, and actually the rest will follow. Yeah, almost to build on what Andy and Joe have said about discipleship. If, if you're looking for a discipleship relationship, um, there's a big onus on you to pursue that as well. Um, and I think sometimes we kind of sit there hoping someone will come up to us and say, I have had a dream and I was discipling you in this dream and you became a mighty warrior of the faith. And actually, that's not how it works. How it works is you saying, I'm seeing something in you that I love and I want to get alongside it and I want to learn about it. I want to to get that from you. And um, I would also go as far to say discipleship as well. It's important that you don't see it as a... um, How can I put this? Um like a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And what I mean by that is we can sometimes get exclusive over those mentoring relationships. And the truth is, I might look at Andy and go, actually, I would love to learn how to pray from Andy because I know he's a prayer warrior. But also, I know Damien has got an amazing ministry um, in, in healing people, and I want to get that as well. And that's fine. And actually, to a degree, it's about you kind of 
being a bit selfish about chasing that blessing and saying, actually, I want to learn everything I can from these people. And there might be one person you take a lot from. There might be one person in particular that has got a vision and a heart and an end point that you think, yeah, I really want to be like that. And they become a, a, a person that you uh, look to. But ultimately, we all look to Jesus. So no one person can satisfy all our need. Um, but in community, we can grow and learn from one another multiple times, not just from one person. Andy just hit the nail on the head, Katie's glaring at me. Actually, when he said, invite yourself around to people's houses for dinner, and you laughed, because it is actually a bit cheeky. But that is actually the key, because you were following people around in meetings ain't going to do it. You get into people's lives, really, eat with people, eat, eat, eat with people. Just get yourselves in people's homes. That is spot on. That is the way to do it. Awesome general sucking up, like, do you want me to babysit? That also helps. If, you t- if, you're not, if you're not confident enough, say, can I come for dinner? Say, do you want some help? Shall I take your kids to the swings? We'll, we'll disciple you if you offer babysitting services. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every day of the week. Right, we're going to take a, a turn to a slightly deeper side. Uh, both Joe and I, on our seminar talks, we touched on forgiveness and we talked about... Um, being forgiven by God, forgiving others, and we also touched on forgiving yourself. And we've had two texts come in. Um, I'll read them both. One of them is, how on earth can we forgive ourselves? And the second one was, yeah, God lets us off the hook, but how do we let ourselves off of our own hook? And I think possibly some some real practical ways of thinking about this might be helpful because this is a, this is a spiritual truth, isn't it, that we're, we're called to do. But how do we actually do that? I can think of one thing, so I might as well keep talking. So when the devil likes to remind me of ways I've mucked up and all of a sudden I get that wave of embarrassment and shame and just, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I was like that. I can't believe I said that and I was like that. Oh, I take that thought captive. I surrender it to the truth that God has cleansed me, he has forgiven me, and I must, in obedience, forgive myself. I I try and not take myself so seriously as to think, my own view of myself is more important than God's view of me. And so these thoughts come in your head at all sorts of times. If you're just sort of drifting off in bed or just wherever, you can just get these thoughts that come in these accusations from the enemy. And I just, I literally bounce my thoughts. I'm saying, oh, oh well, not going to think about that. Not true, not true. Or I, or I think, yeah, I was a muppet, but thank you, God, that you've saved me. That's maybe practically how I deal with it. Damien, next. Yeah. Pass it off, sorry. Okay, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that, that, that I found helpful when I, when I first became a Christian, I think I was a discipleship nightmare. I was, a one, I was one massive walking pastoral issue. Um, I, I had, I had I, it was a lot, Joe knows, I was at the pastor's table so many times. Um, you know, I, I was just... I, I struggled with drink and drug addiction for maybe a year or two after I became a Christian. And I, I would maybe have a two-month gap and a blowout, three-month gap and a blowout, six-month gap, blowout. And I would just do ridiculous things. I would kick off. I, I was just an absolute nightmare. And, what, what, and then you would hear those voices from Satan, call yourself a Christian. Look at the state of you. Call yourself a Christian. How can you go to church today? And... I just felt one day, I need to abuse grace. <laughs> I, I, it, it sounds scandalous, but you just need to abuse the grace of God. You just need to, just, just need to say, do you know what, yeah. Do, do, do you get what I mean when I say, I'm not, I'm not saying, is it, is it coming across right? Do you know what I mean? I, I just had to at one point say, you, you can't really abuse the grace of God. But actually, that, that's, that's what it's there for. That is what it is there for. Real life, real issues, real answers. That is what the grace of God is there for. And sometimes it feels like you are abusing the grace of God. You are taking the mickey out of the grace of God. David this morning, adulterous murderer. I've done nothing wrong. And it, and it almost seems like you're abusing the grace of God. You need that, you need that sometimes. And you need that in your, in, in your early walk with God. So that, that's something that I kind of said. Do you know what? Grace is there. I, I need it. I'm going to abuse it as, as long as I need it. And um, when, when I started doing that, 
and stopped trying on my own strength, that's when I made massive progress. When I realised that's what the grace of God is there for, I made massive progress and, and I've seen massive freedom in my life. But not only my life, I've been able to impart that freedom to other people and see other people set free from similar things. So, um, Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I think something for me as well is thinking about um, what Christ went through for us and therefore what we're to imitate um, in that Christ was was humiliated on our behalf so he was the high king of heaven he was in glory he was born a man down on earth he didn't philippians 2 says he didn't consider equality with god something to be grasped but made himself lower than anything and became the servant of all so he was he was shamed he was spat on he was despised he was humiliated on our behalf so we didn't have to suffer that from god and when we realize that as a result of that humiliation and that acceptance, he was then glorified, he then was, he, he was ascended to the right hand of the Father, what we realize is that our, our role in life isn't to justify or vindicate ourselves. It's not to look at a situation and say, I wasn't actually an idiot there, or I wasn't actually too much of a, uh, an idiot. And actually, if you understand the circumstances, you would realize that I did it because I did this and did that. And sometimes there's a temptation for us in pride to try and raise our status in other people's eyes and try and say, actually, I'm not, I'm not really lowly, I'm up there. And actually, sometimes shame, I'm speaking from personal experience here, and I'll, I'll tell you why, but sometimes personal shame can be about how other people see you. So it links to... Um, why are you shamed? Because some other people have seen you in a certain way. Now, I, I in, in a similar way to Joe, um, I had a, I, I had sex with a girlfriend um, while I was part of a church and went through church discipline, and that um, that came out in in open, and I was shamed in open. That's what it felt like to me, and and actually there was a great release in holding my hands up and going, yeah, I did it, yeah, I did it. And the, the wonderful release is actually not trying to make your status better in other people's eyes, but accepting that and saying, yes, that's fine, but the grace of God covers my sin. He's the one who's made me right. Now, if you can wholeheartedly say with Paul, I was chief among singers. I like, because you know your sin better than anyone. And actually, you know just how depraved your heart is sometimes. And if you can acknowledge that, accept it before man, and then say, but the grace of God has covered my shame, covered my sin. There's stuff I've done two years ago that I'm intensely embarrassed about. Um, But actually, the grace of God covers that. And I'm not trying to justify myself. I'm not trying to vindicate myself because I don't need to. God's done that. I'm right with him. Just very quickly to build on that. um, I just wanted to say that there's a verse. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And part of that is God sets us free, but often we lock ourselves up and beat ourselves up and keep ourselves in prison. But actually, he's freed us to live in freedom and, and it is a battle, like it's been said. Like every day, it could be that the same thought comes back and you choose not to forgive it. And you're like, how can I forgive myself? But it's battling in those moments saying, actually, God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. He has set me free. I am free. And so live in freedom and just keep battling with that. I want to just continue on this line, okay, and try and give some really practical advice. From my experience, sometimes people who struggle with this sort of thing, it can be part of a personality thing. It can be some people are quite perfectionist and they hold themselves in quite... This isn't necessarily a bad thing, but they just... They can be quite perfectionist. They, they hold themselves to quite a high standard, maybe from how you were parented, maybe from how examples you've seen in your life you feel like you should meet up to a certain standard. And that can be really difficult because that's partly how God's made you. To, in, in some senses, that's fantastic, and, and people can have a temperament and a, and a character which can produce amazing things of, of real perfection. But for some, it can really hold you back, and it can affect your spiritual life. So I'd say if you recognize that in yourself, in the more mundane things, put yourself to the challenge to break that. So 
most of my mates know I'm really not like that. I'm really not perfectionist. But I see in my girlfriends around me, if we, if we like, I like knitting and crochet. Sado, but I like it. And I will deliberately set out to make a baby blanket in crochet or knitting. And I'll say to myself at the beginning, this is not going to be perfect. I'm going to drop stitches. I'm going to get my counting wrong. There's going to be a few lumps and bobbles in it. And I don't care. Because everyone will look at it and go, wow, Kate, that blanket's amazing. Or if you're about to undertake a piece of artwork or some work, just you could start cultivating in yourself a sense of just saying to yourself, I don't need to be perfect. This work is not going to be perfect, and that's okay. And then in those small mundane things, hopefully then that, you can kind of you can let go of your own standards. Let, deliberately don't clear up your house before you let someone come around for coffee. And allow yourself to walk through that feeling of embarrassment that they've seen the mess on the floor and you've not done the washing up. And just observe, what did that feel like? That was a bit embarrassing, but it soon passed. Oh, and they stayed longer. They stayed for a second cup of tea. We actually had a nice time. And you learn, it doesn't matter. So it starts at ground level and translates into spiritual principles. I just triggered something in my head. Uh, Someone once did a study and they got people to make pots and they had a quantity group and a quality group. This group had to make as many pots as possible in a given amount of time. This group had to make a perfect or the best-looking pot. Do you know which group produced the best pots? The quantity group. The chilled-out ones. Because, that, because they kept mucking up, failing, doing rub, rubbish pots, but as they kept going and going and going, they learned and learned and learned, and eventually they produced the best pots. So it's allowing yourself to fail and flop and yeah. whatever because it's only then that the quality comes. So. Yeah, pretty good. Okay, um, we are ne- we've got 10 minutes. So please, guys, if you've got some more questions, bring them up, write them down, or you can come and ask. I'm going to ask these guys one more question and then we'll take any more from the floor. Come up, don't be shy. Thank you. Um, so the last question was a real general one. Uh, what do I do if I feel fearful about my future? Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, this was my seminar, and I think that the best thing that you can do if you've got fear and anxiety about the future is to get caught up in God's mission. That that you know, in, in my seminar, we looked at um, the characteristics of David, and um, you know, David found his strength in God. David was God focused, not self focused. David was uh, God pleaser, not a people pleaser. And the, the, these are the kind of things that, that that made him bold and not fearful and not anxious. Those characteristics will manifest most quickly when you are out on a limb, planting a church, or, or caught up in God's mission. So I, I would say that the, the best God has, God knows the plans that He's got for you. And the best, the best thing you can do is just to step out and get, get, get caught up in God's mission. And this, this is still really fresh in my mind because, I mean, I think before we moved to Blackpool to plant um, Christchurch Blackpool, um, I, I tread water for five years at a church and played it safe for five years. And just, I was more anxious then about my future than I am now. And, and that's just through just stepping out in faith and, and, and getting caught up in God's, God's work, so... Um, I, I recently um, at church had a look at um, the Exodus, and um, there's a brilliant moment in there where the, Moses leads the people of God away from Egypt after all the plagues, and Pharaoh says, "Okay, you can go now." Um, he finally says, "You can go," and then the people of Israel—it's after the Passover—they quickly gather their stuff up and they get going, and they head directly towards the sea, which is a really daft escape route. Um, and they literally are confronted. They literally come up to the shoreline of a sea, and they've got a sea in front of them, and Pharaoh's changed his heart and sent chariots after people. And it's a really fascinating moment where the, the people of God, um, basically out of fear, say, let's go back to being slaves in Egypt because otherwise we'll be killed. And then there's another option, which is Moses saying, no, God has led us out. And yes, there's an ocean in our way, but he, he, you know, he prays, the ocean parts, and they go. And the image is this, that fear leads to slavery, and faith leads to freedom. And actually, it's an issue of faith. 
um, actually, that sometimes we fear because we lack faith. We lack trust in God. And actually, faith leads to freedom. Fear leads to slavery. So you need to keep fear in check. We're told constantly in Scripture, do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. We're told that. Why? Because we have a God who cares for us. Any more questions from the floor? Come up. I have a question. Um, as leaders, how do you receive from God at, say, at church? Because I guess you guys are pastors and you're the one preaching the words to the other people. How do you get to grow and receive from God in your personal time? And I have another question, if that's okay. Uh, <laughs> so that's the first question. Uh, second question is how... Um, how do you know when to rest uh, from like, church and just uh, ministry? Uh, yeah, that's it. So the first question was, how do you grow in God? How do you find time to grow in God? And how do you find time to rest in God? I mean, I, I think it's, it can be tough, actually, as leaders, because you're caught up in ministering a lot of the time. And so I was even talking to my wife about it last night, saying, oh, I mean... I wish there was, we used to have like Stony Bible Week where you'd go and receive from God and, and New Day's great, you can receive from God, but it's, sometimes you just think, I mean, last night I was just thinking, oh, I'm, you know, oh, I'm thinking, how do I? And that very question was going through my head. I think it's just being intentional and just making the time and we're quite fortunate in our church in that they allow us, you know, if we see something that we'd love to do, going and doing that. Um, and also being intentional about finding people who you can just be yourself with and just, you know, who you, you don't have to put on a show. Not that we put on a show, but you, how you can just be honest, completely honest with people. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that's what I try and do, not always very successfully. And um, what, what was the other question? Yeah, fortunately, uh, as part of New Frontiers, most, most churches have Monday off. So I always make sure I boundary that and I have Monday completely free just to either do stuff with my family or some friends and just completely switch off and chill out. So it's kind of inbuilt for us. So that, that's what I try to do. And lots of holiday. Make sure you get lots of holiday in and not feel guilty about taking holiday. I think what I would add to that as well is that sometimes we grow most actually not just not just through feeding ourselves uh but actually through being on a mission through actually getting on and doing it so for example in my life preparing for the seminar this morning I learned loads of stuff I honestly I literally that scripture about David saying basically I've never sinned uh, that really like hit me between the eyes I'm going to be living with that I've really learned something that about actually the truth of who we are I've had a fresh revelation of that in preparing to teach you guys about it uh, when we look at Gideon he was hiding in a wine press wasn't he we, we perhaps know the story the Lord said called him mighty warrior he was like yeah right you're having a laugh aren't you well, how did he become a mighty warrior? It wasn't through going back to the scriptures and studying them. And not, I mean, I'm not saying that reading your Bible isn't important. I'm not saying your quiet times aren't important. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But I am saying, actually, how he grew from actually a terrified little boy to the, a mighty warrior was by actually getting on and doing the stuff, by actually saying, okay, let's, let's have a go. Let's do it. And I think sometimes we... We miss out because we're waiting to be some kind of finished article before we'll have a go at stuff. And the truth is, you're just never going to get there. We are not the finished articles. Uh, we actually, we're just muddling through in the strength of Jesus and learning on the journey and learning on the way. And I think that you can grow most uh, when you actually say, all right, I'll take a step. I'll try something new. I'll, maybe I'll pray for that person. Um, I, I saw a beautiful thing last night. One of our young people who, who had been really struggling just chose at the end of the meeting to get down and pray for another younger kid in our youth group. And I, Actually, it was a simple thing, but it was a powerful thing. He grew more in that moment of choosing to do something, actually, than he could have done through doing a million Bible studies about how to pray for people. Actually, sometimes we need to just do it. 
Yeah, yeah. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Really, it's the Great Commission. It's go, go, and make disciples. So you you go, and and in going, you you go first, and then you make disciples. And that's how I, that's how I I grow most when I'm in discipleship relationships. So I, I'll I'll grab two or three good guys, and and we'll we'll meet up. We'll have a steak night. You know, one one Thursday at the end of the month, and we'll do, we'll we'll, do, we'll just sharpen each other. But it's, 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 the act, it's the act of going first and then making disciples of, of many nations. So, uh. I'd add one more thing, which is don't be scared of people being disappointed. Church, ministry, living life as a leader, you've got to get over the fact that you're going to disappoint people, that people are going to look to you for stuff and you just sometimes say, nope, sorry, I'm watching a Disney movie with my kids or I just don't want to, I need to have a bath. And people get a bit upset for a minute and then they realise you're a human and they actually really respect you for it. And at the right time, you can, you can help them in the right way. Okay, we are pretty much Bob on time, but I'm willing to be merciful. And if anyone's got any, any more questions, now's the time. Thank you. What is one inspirational thing that you can say to keep us all walking in faith? Great question. Um, my, my two words, we've mentioned it already, but be yourself. That's all I would say. So deep. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, the best thing you can invest your life in is having an adventure with Jesus. And I think actually this has been somebody was saying something to this effect when I came to the Big Top maybe last night or the night before. Actually, I really am, I would wholeheartedly say, take some risks, adventure, adventure with him. What have you got to lose? Life is so, so short. Actually, we aren't, we're not for this world, we're for eternity. There's a whole, whole nother preaching that, isn't there? Uh, and actually fixing our eyes on the bigger goal on the end. Fix your eyes on eternity fix your eyes on eternity if, the, if there's one thing that will transform your life is knowing that actually one day you're going to stand before Jesus and be able to give him that crown back that he's just given you not because he didn't give it you because you were so great he gave it you because of what he's done in your life it's glory to him that's actually what we're living for um, I'm going to rather than say it to you i'm going to tell you what's an inspiration to me um because i'm sure other people have different but a verse captured my heart and it was one of the first verses that has ever brought over me and it's lived with me for years and it's philippians 4:13. i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and that sums up my life mission really i think Mine would be that classic one that Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And let's, let's make our life, just like Joe's saying, let's make our life about the future goal, the future hope that we know we've got. Let's put that into practice through faith. We've got nothing to lose. And if we die, we go to be with Jesus. So on that note, I think, I think we'll call it a day. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for coming along.